Welcome to the Beyond the Medicine program, what they don't teach you in residency. This podcast is the first in a series of discussions on flow, how patients move through our systems. To paraphrase Lucian Leap, our systems are designed to create exactly the outcomes that we get, but not necessarily the outcomes that we intend. In this series, we will review flow innovations that achieve dramatic improvements in the operations of our institutions and departments. Our first program is related to the emergency department with a specific topic of super tracks. These thoughtfully and purposefully processes of segmenting patients requiring similar levels of care into geographic areas. It is with excitement that I introduce a most respected colleague and friend, Dr. Jody Crane. Jody is considered a leading expert in emergency department operations in the U.S., currently serving as the Chief Clinical Officer of Emergency Medicine for Team Health. Dr. Crane is a well-traveled international consultant. He received his MBA from the University of Tennessee, where he currently serves as a faculty member in the Physician Executive MBA program. He teaches healthcare operations and leadership. Dr. Crane is also an emergency medicine faculty member for the Institute of Healthcare Improvement and serves as an advisor for the National Institute of Health Research's Collaboration for Leadership, where he applies health resource and care in Northwest London. Through these engagements, Dr. Crane has taught and led healthcare and ED improvement efforts to hundreds of organizations globally. Jody, I don't know how you have time to do it all, but welcome to this program. Rob, thanks so much for having me, and I uh, appreciate inviting me to join you on the podcast. Oh, it's truly our pleasure. So, Jody, I'm going to jump right in. What and why segmentation of patients? We've all tried to make our EDs more efficient, trying variations of multiple methods of separating these patients, the most obvious of which is fast track. Generally speaking, what's the reason for segmenting patients? So, Rob, that's a great question, and I I think back to when you and I were in the early days of our careers, and I used to think of the emergency department as as like a giant black box, and you had a a line going in and a line going out and all this chaos or Brownian activity uh, going on somewhere in the middle. The whole concept of segmentation, basically segmenting patients allows you to provide more customized experience based on patient needs and also allows for a more efficient process to the reduction of variation and waste. The concept actually originates from lean healthcare design. So by designing processes around these patient service families, we can provide more reliable, higher quality care. So a good example in that black box ED that I spoke about before is a patient with a laceration would would at some point get into that ED, would be seen in the main ED, and their course of care could be fraught with variability such as finding the right supplies, a nurse to assist the patient care, or competing with sicker patients for provider attention. It turns out if you segment these patients into a well-designed process, such as a super track, this super track process can specifically care for these patients with all of the supplies right in the room. The nurse would be dedicated to the process, to the patients, and to the provider, and there are no competing priorities in terms of higher level of acuity patients. So in the end, customized strategies for various patient streams allows us to be more cost-effective, more productive with the same resources, and provide more satisfying care for our patients and a more rewarding experience for our clinicians. 
Well, that sounds terrific, uh, but there have to be limitations, Jody. Not every patient presentation can be addressed with a specific set of available resources. How do you figure out which ones to combine? Well, what we typically do is we look at the overall aggregate demand in the emergency department. So we look at your arrival rates literally throughout every hour of the week, and we segment them based on acuity mix. And Typically, we'll use ESI. We try to split you into basically three categories of patients. Are you sick? And if you're sick, get you straight to the back. Are you easy? And if you're easy, let's get you right back home, right from the front. And then if you're complicated, let's get you in front of a group of of providers and nurses in a team-based format that allows us to get you assessed and in process immediately upon arrival as possible. Uh, So we'll go into that a little bit more because I want to understand that better. Regarding your innovation, Hogworth said when trying to come up with a better answer, we often ask the wrong questions, leaving us with something similar to what we initially had or sometimes even worse. So according to this theory, in order to innovate, we have to ask the right questions. When you were developing the SuperTrack concept, what questions were you asking? We were running a 70,000-visit ED with about 20% admit rate with about 25% ESI 4 and 5 patients. So a fair number of lower acuity patients. Our walkout rate had hit 13%, and we were struggling. The, The waiting room was packed like every night when we walked in to our night shift, and sometimes even when you walked into the day shift, the waiting room was just packed. So we started asking ourselves just basic kind of questions like, who's out there? Who's sitting in the waiting room? Who's walking out? Why are they walking out? Is there a bottleneck somewhere in our process? So uh, our docs a constraint, our nurses a constraint, our beds a constraint. And, you know, we had probably a little bit of everything. You know, at the time, we had a a serious boarding issue, so we had a bed constraint. We had, uh, that was consuming some nurse resources, but also we had some nurses leaving because of um, job dissatisfaction. So it's a combination of those factors. The next thing we're asking is, well, if you took all these patients kind of presenting to the front end, what services and tests do they get? If somebody walks in with a cheap complaint of cough, what's the likelihood they'll get an x-ray? Or if they walk in with chest pain, what's the likelihood they'll get a troponin or a CBC? Or if they walk in with belly pain, what's the likelihood they'll get a urinalysis? So uh, we were curious about really defining these patient streams. And that data led us to actually kind of say, hey, we have a pretty good idea of what our stream should look like. You know, then we started looking at our providers and we said, well, how do our providers and our nurses and our techs, how do they interact with patients? How much time do they actually spend caring for patients? And how much time are they in the room versus how much time are they um, on the chart, uh, you know, documenting the encounter? What, what exact tasks do they do when they're caring for patients? Jordy, those are big questions. Let me ask you, can you give us an example of how you address, you mentioned bottlenecks, how you address bottlenecks. I know you have some specific IT programs for staffing. Yeah, you know, Rob, so at the very early end of this work, um, you know, there's a handful of us and there's myself, an engineer, a couple of motivated docs and a couple of enlightened nurses. And the first thing we did was just kind of take a snapshot of a couple months worth of patient encounters. And what we did is we looked at... Uh, Literally, we sorted 9,000 visits by uh, chief complaint, and then we literally measured every single test they got. And we actually created those three patient streams that I talked to you about. So the the sick patients would get a lot of tests, would have a 50% admit rate, 
and uh, would likely be in the department for a while. The easy patients usually got one test, and it was usually a, an x-ray of some sort or a CT. And uh, we could tell what, what patients those were based on their chief complaint and their age. And then all of the remaining patients got some kind of mix of tests, some lab, some x-ray, and were in the department for a fair fair amount of time, but only got admitted 10% of the time. So that was the, the group we called those vertical patients. We actually created this analysis that said, hey, if we looked at our fours and fives, and for us, we had about 14 to 16 arrivals per hour at peak times, and about, about six of those were low acuity ESI fours and fives, and another probably eight or so were ESI three patients. So we started to kind of create these demand profiles by hour of week, looking at when these patients would come in and what resources they were using. So we actually projected demand for docs, demand for nurses, and demand for beds. And what we found was pretty much the the patients were just overwhelming the entire system. We set about to to create these well-defined patient streams for each of those three patient categories. So you were trying to address system and flow weaknesses. How important was that there for you to fix them? Well, Rob, uh, it was, I would say, one of the low points in my professional career, to be honest with you. I mean, our, our walkout rate, as I mentioned, had climbed to 13%. Our reputation was terrible in the community. You know, all of these patients in the waiting room were creating this real quality dilemma for us because we really didn't have any visibility on who was sick and who wasn't sick out there. You know, we had um, several bad outcomes in the waiting room. We had numerous letters to the editor. So we had 13 negative letters to the editor of the local paper in a three-month stretch. That's greater than one a week saying how bad our doctors were, how bad our nurses were, what a disgrace our hospital was. And it was yes, third year out of residency at the time, and it was humiliating. And it wasn't what I envisioned, you know, being a doctor was all about. So our patient satisfaction was in the first percentile, and so was our staff satisfaction. We had a third of our nurses leave uh, over a six-month stretch in, uh, in 2003. You know, we knew, um, for instance, that we would walk into the ED for the night shift at 11 o'clock, and I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I'd walk in from the parking deck, and all the 3 to 11 that was uh, shift or 11 to 11 shift that was leaving, they'd say, don't go in there, don't go in there. And I would look at them like, do I have a choice? You know, I'm the night guy. <laughs> and you would routinely walk into the ED with 50 people in the waiting room. So you knew... You and one other person, you know, already saw, already had your 25 people each. They were already there. Um, not to mention the four arrivals plus per hour that were that were going to walk through the door. You know, you would see a you know a belly pain at 3 a.m. because you finally worked down the queue of all the sick people. Turns out by the time they get their CAT scan back, it's 3 a.m. and and they have an appendicitis, right? And you call the surgeon, and their first question was always, "What time did they show up?" And you look back disgracefully at the chart, and you'd say, oh, 3 o'clock this afternoon, and they'd go, well, I was here in the operating room at that point, so uh, I'm not coming in to help this patient out. You're just going to have to wait till the morning. So we were, we were really struggling on all fronts at that point. The worst thing for me was just kind of knowing that patient care was suffering and people were at risk. And I could deal with the patients yelling at me and, and all of that, and even though that got old. But the worst thing was just knowing you couldn't provide the best care you, you, you could as a clinician. Jody, thank you for 
providing a, a personal story. I'm sure that's um, meaningful to everybody who's listening. So let's go to the positive side. You developed and pioneered the SuperTrack in the early 2000s. Now, SuperTracks are known throughout emergency medicine as a significant innovation. You're frequently quoted by leaders internationally and throughout emergency medicine, Studer, Huron, IHI. And there's a quote from uh, Dr. Agostino Bellissimo, Chief of Emergency Medicine and Chief uh, Medical Information Officer in a Toronto ED who went to one of your conferences and he said, SuperTrack is about providing quality care in a timely manner. It puts the patient experience at the center of our work. And then he goes on to explain how successful it has been at his institution. So your work is regularly cloned or emulated. How do super tracks work? I, I happen to think like this this concept of a super track is, is literally one of the most valuable things that you can do in an ED. And I, I talked to you about kind of early back in the early 2000s when we first, you know, came up with these three streams. And, you know, the first thing we said was, let's just make sure we do a really great job of getting the fours and fives out. And I, I talked to you a little bit about the, the cultural challenges around really elevating the level of care for those patients who, quote unquote, shouldn't be here. Um, but we got over that. And what, what the ED realized was, you get the fours and fives out of the waiting room, all of a sudden it's a totally different picture. And so what we simply did is we said, hey, instead of triaging them, let's just move the process right to where they would have been triaged and let's just get them in front of a provider and a nurse simultaneously and get them home if they're five or get them in process if they just need a quick x-ray or a quick medication. And so that whole concept of two beds right up in front of the ED with an APC, a nurse, and a tech you know, with a target of 2.5 to 3 patients per hour. So in a 12-hour shift, you're looking at 30 to 36 patients. And setting that goal and realizing that goal turns out is, A, it's, it's gratifying, B, it's satisfying for patients, but C, turns out you, you produce at higher levels with much lower stress levels and feeling much less beat up because you're not working around the dysfunctional system. So the super track that we designed way uh, way back in the early 2000s, we've replicated it, and, every, and lots of people have replicated it. I, I am proud of the fact that I walk into people's EDs and they say, "Hey, here's my super track." I'm like, "Wow!" It, it always kind of puts a smile on my face. But you know, when people kind of do the math and they say, "Hey, you know, we've analyzed our arrival patterns. We have the right demand. We have 2.5 to three, you know, vertical patients per hour. You know, from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m." It's really straightforward to just kind of pull a nurse, an APC, and a tech together and orient them to what they should be doing in that space. The, the only big exception, I would say, when, when these things can go bad is when the organization is not really behind it. And what I mean by that is, you know, let's say you start a super track and, you know, you have a nurse call out in the back. You know, it turns out if you pull that super track nurse to staff the ED in the back, next thing you know, that's 30 patients gone from the front that are now gonna be somewhere in the waiting room. So the organization gotta elevate the value of those fours and fives and understand that keeping them out of the main department creates more capacity for your sicker patients and more capacity to care for these patients by the team in the back. I understand it takes a really clear commitment by the organization. Jody, you've described some pretty dramatic innovations and when you began SuperTrack, 
it sounds like patients were routinely discharged from triage, a pretty new concept. Uh, that was a pretty bold move. Was there resistance? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, the first thing was me and the engineer just kind of figuring out whether mathematically it made sense. And then, then knowing it made sense, and this was part of that that grassroots uh, movement and the culture piece, uh, you know, then we pulled in the APCs and a couple of motivated nurses. You know, the APCs were working pretty much completely in our fast track, and our fast track was a 16-bed unit with three APCs on at peak times and three nurses and everybody running around like, you know, chaotically. And length of stay was like two and a half hours for even routine things like earaches and sore throats. And, and uh, you know, I pulled together, you know, a group of folks and had some meetings with their APCs. And the APCs really weren't uh, into it, I have to be honest with you. There were a couple of APCs and then a couple of nurses that really felt the back was really dysfunctional. And just like I told you before, the main ED would classically overrun into the fast track. And so we'd get, you know, level, you know, sicker level three patients, you know, cared for by the APCs. And when that happens, the docs and the main were all overrun. So it was just kind of really chaotic and, and unreliable. So it turns out the first few trials we ran, and this is, you know, one of the arts of getting um, change and buy-in and ownership is, you know, we just ran a couple small tests of change. We literally set it up one day and, uh, we ran uh, on a Friday, we ran just a small test of change. And what we found was, you know, for about a four hour stretch, we got 16 patients through SuperTrack with an average length of stay of all patients of under an hour. So it was about a 50 minute length of stay with turnaround times for, you know, plain films. And we even had a CAT scan patient on that day. And so we did that on multiple trials and we refined it over three or four periods and it was clearly superior and had these reliable performance results. I remember going, man, this is clearly a superior process. It's clearly uh, more effective, more efficient, it moves all the, the needles in the right direction. And I remember a couple of our lead PAs going, we're never going back. We're in the front to stay because this is how we can do the best job we can. And they pulled the rest along and we launched it basically seven days a week from, from then on out. And I'll tell you, we saw remarkable improvements. So our, our Love Without Being Seen dropped dramatically. Um, our door-to-doc dropped dramatically. Our overall length of stay for discharge patients dropped. Our patient satisfaction skyrocketed. So we had a 96% patient satisfaction rate on patients that went through this super track process. I assume that this is translated into better productivity. Yeah, so this is interesting. So our, our original experience back at Mary Washington, we had three APCs uh, seeing six patients per hour of low acuity patients, right? So two patients per hour um, of low acuity patients. And we kind of really knew we could do better than that. Same thing on the nursing side. There were three nurses, you know, each seeing, you know, um, you know, about two patients per hour each. And what we found when we launched the SuperTrack, and we actually had two of them running simultaneous, is that we, we could do the same amount of work with just two of those pairs. We actually bumped up the productivity in that particular system by 50%. And that was kind of a big deal uh, back then. And what we found since then, and if you think about it, the average nurse productivity, uh, believe it or not, in, in the United States based on EDBA data, is 0.6 patients per hour in the main ED. So not even a patient per hour. And it turns out in a well-run super track, you can get between 2.5 and 3 patients per hour. 
So that's a four to five fold bump in nurse productivity in a more satisfying way for the for the people doing the work and a more satisfying way for the patients. And and so it's really phenomenal when you roll these systems out. And same thing on the APC side, usually we see about a 50% bump. We usually see them go from you know 1.5 to 2.5 or two to three uh, patients per hour. And the same thing, uh, we're eliminating waste. So we're not pushing people to work harder. We're just compressing all of that work into a, a smaller footprint and a more coordinated, collaborated team. I remember we went to this one emergency department and there was a double provider coverage. There was a dock and an APC with maybe about 10 or 11 rooms. And the, the ED was always filled with, you know, level ones, twos, and three patients. And the poor APC was running around, you know, grabbing the fours and fives out of the waiting room and just trying to find any spot they could find to push to, to see the patient. And sometimes they would even just give up on the ED proper and they'd run across and see if they could dr- grab like a surgeon um, office. And so that APC was just running around like crazy, frustrated, seeing a patient in a half an hour. And, you know, the doc was seeing about uh, about two patients per hour, and there's about six patients per hour coming through the door. So they had this massive walkout rate, this extreme dissatisfaction, waiting room packed. And what we did is we just peeled out that APC. We gave them two rooms, you know, just literally right beside triage. And we allowed that APC, which was a nurse practitioner, just to move patients on their own. And we gave them a tech and we, we allowed them to collaborate with the triage nurse. Well, that, that APC, that nurse practitioner in this small rural community in, in, in Newfoundland went from 1.5 patients per hour up to four. So they went to four patients per hour. The doc was seeing two. They met their six patients per hour demand, emptied their waiting room, improved their door to docs, improved their quality, reduced their left without being seen. And you think, wow, I mean, that's a, that's a tripling of your productivity. That APC must be wiped out at the end of the day. Well, you know, a couple of years later, we went back to that site just to see how they were doing. And that APC came up to me and they said, Dr. Crane, I want to save you. I want to thank you for saving my career. And uh, she said, you know, I was going to leave medicine before you came. And she said, now, like my job is the most rewarding job uh, and I'll do it till I'm no longer working anymore. And to me, that's really what it's all about. I mean, it's about caring for patients, but also creating that that really satisfying work environment that allows you to do the best job you can do. And you know, a lot of people want to work hard. They want to get the job done, but they're working in imperfect systems and they're struggling to get through them. So to me, a super track is just a really great example of how your system design can really overcome a lot of the, these problems that you're solving every single day. Jody, it must be profoundly satisfying to know that you have improved the enjoyment of people's careers. Well, that was terrific, Jody. Absolutely fascinating. You are an inspiring speaker. Thank you for taking the time to join the Beyond the Medicine podcast. I'm sure I'll be asking you again. Thanks. Uh, Thank you so much. It was just a great pleasure for me to to be on the podcast, and I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today about operational improvement and happy to join you any other time in the future. Uh, this is a great passion of mine and um, happy to get the word out to anybody who'll listen. So thank you very much, Rob, for the invite, and it was my pleasure. 
For those of you who are listening, thank you for joining us. If you'd like any more information on this topic or would like to suggest other topics, please contact us at podcast at teamhealth.com. Thank you.